We have two readings from Isaiah this morning. The first is from chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. The Song of the Unfruitful Vineyard. I will sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded rotten grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield rotten grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a wasteland. It shall not be pruned or hoed and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are his cherished garden. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. And then continuing chapter 11, verses one to five, the peaceful kingdom. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness, the belt around his loins. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gift of interpreting this word. I pray now that the, the thoughts of my heart and the words of my lips are a blessing to you. And then the words that I speak will be a blessing or a challenge to others. Amen. So, I don't know if some of you are aware of this. It's something that's really common in MCC North London. But tomorrow is a thing called Tidal. T 
TDOF stands for Trans Day of Remembrance. And normally, in North London, I would be given a sermon on TDOF. And I thought, why change? Why change what I would normally be doing? It's so important. So, it's a day that we, as in the LGBT society and community in general, remember people over the past year who have lost their lives because simply they are transgender. <clears throat> in essence, it's a vigil. And at MCC North London every year, we read the names of those lives that were lost. It's one of probably the most profound, sombre, grievous services of the year that I am always involved in. The founder of the event, Gwendolyn Ann Smith said, I'm just going to read what she said. It seeks to highlight the losses we face due to anti-transgender bigotry and violence. I'm no stranger for the need to fight for our rights and the right to simply exist in the first and foremost. With so many seeking to erase transgender people, sometimes in the most brutal ways, people, it is vital, vitally important that those we lose are remembered and that every year we fight for justice. So every year I've done the same thing, apart from this year. I read the names of the dead out, literally every name. Every name, every year the names grow. Often, there's often no names, simply the day they died and the place they died. Sometimes we find out about their backstory and realize that even their families have refused their, their, to acknowledge them and often even bury them. Often it's left to the LGBT organizations and often the MCC, just like they did during the AIDS crisis in the 80s, to actually provide the dignity of the deceased and those who, have left, who are left around them. Mainly, they're the ones who often bury them. This year, there are 320 names on this list. 320. I'm outraged. I'm devastated by the lack of love shown to them. Those on the list are simply wanting to exist and get on with their lives. <clears throat> I grieve for the lack of justice for them. And I grieve for the lack of humanity towards them. So often, their names are added because of hatred and discrimination that has come directly from religious people and communities who profess to love Christ and yet show their injustice and hatred in their actions. And the reason today, I believe from the prophet Isaiah in chapter five, is one that showcases just this, that those who profess to love God distorts it. So the reading in chapter five begins with a love note from God to Judah when it says, I will sing for my beloved, my love song concerning this his vineyard. What's really he's saying is, Isaiah, my friend, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about the story of how much I've loved Judah. It goes on to say, let me tell you what I've done for them. 
This is all the big things about how much God has provided for the vineyard in verses 2 to 4. When the vineyard's positive attributes are clearly expressed, I quite like how Stan Mast puts this. He says, God has showered his love upon his vineyard. He selected fertile hillside where God's vineyard was sure to produce a bumper crops of delicious grapes that would ferment the finest of wine. He cultivated the soil and cleared it of stones so there'd be no impediments to growth. He plants the very best vines, guaranteed to yield the most healthy and tasty of grapes. He built a watchtower to guard over the vineyard against human and animal invaders who would strip the vines of their precious fruit. He erected a hedge or a wall to keep those invaders out. He dug a wine press or vat so the grapes could be processed into wine on the spot and stored for future consumption. God spared no effort and no expense on this vineyard. So it would be a complete success. God was setting a huge rewards that were given to Judah. But in return, instead of this beautiful, successful wine, the justice of flowing, there was a bad harvest. There were rotten grapes. In this sense, Israel ignored and Judah ignored her duties and responsibilities. Now Isaiah, like Micah, was writing about 740 before Common Era, at a time when Judah was in turmoil with King Ahaz, who ruled, who was not prone to listening to the words of the prophets. Ahaz, instead of trusting God, he was terrified of the Assyrians and followed his own political instincts, resulting in devastation. Judah had lost independence to Assyria, and Isaiah felt there was no hope as long as King Ahaz ruled. It was in this context that Isaiah gave his teachings, which is why in verse 4, there's a, that, that damning condemnation of Judah of being rotten. In essence, God is saying to Judah, I've literally done everything I possibly could for you to succeed. Everything. And you've still done wrong. Therefore, by verse 5, we totally get God's judgment on Judah. To destroy it. It seems a natural thing to do when you have bad fruit. So before Judah can even argue... God then defines what that rotten fruit is in verse 7. It says, He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. There it is. I'll repeat that for you, yeah? He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. A lack of of justice and righteousness. That is what they did not do. So, what does this mean? Well, let's start with justice. In Isaiah 1, it tells us that the people to do justice, and in verse 17, it actually explicitly tells us what that justice is. He says, 
Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the cause of the widow. Two things quite stand out in this. One, justice is at the core of who God is. Two, justice is about standing with and speaking with the most vulnerable in our society. The simplest meaning of the Hebrew word, I, I always promised I wasn't going to say Hebrew, but it's such an, a, a good word. It's called mishpash. Okay? It really means treating people equitably. That's all it means. It's the idea to grant people their rights, giving people what they are due. And according, according again to Stan Matt, I used a bit of his sermon here. He said, righteousness is more than right living. It has to do with having a right relationship with God. The New Testament, particularly Paul, teaches us that we can have a right relationship with God, but only through God's grace, through faith in Christ. That right relationship with God should produce right relationship in society. Relationships characterized by the kind of love God has shown to us. That means justice should flow out of that right relationship with God because love wants the best for others. So, therefore, Isaiah 5 is really saying, I'm just paraphrasing now. You've taken my love and totally distorted it in your lives. I want you to bear fruit of justice and righteousness on earth. To exhibit and enact my justice and righteousness. That's why I did it all for you. You have completely ignored my intentions. And you choose to simply enjoy the privileges I gave you. Rather than doing justice and live in righteousness. And that's wrong. That's my paraphrase of, the, of Isaiah. But our lectionary reading didn't just stop here this week. It didn't just stop at the God's indictment of those who do justice. Because in the second part, in chapter 11, we see a positive change. We see the one who comes after the branches are chopped off who don't do justice, the person who's going to restore Judah. Isaiah is painting a picture of a positive reign, hearkening back to King David in the midst of the very disappointment of King Ahaz. Casey Thormer-Sigmund says, Isaiah 11, 3-5, describes how the person governs rightly by one, fearing God, two, making decisions hastily at the surface level. And three, making decisions based on what it is just for those who suffer in the land. I'm going to go a bit further. So what does that actually mean? A, align yourself with what God aligns with. B, don't ignore injustice when you see it. I'll start with A. Align yourself with God aligns with. This, I think, is quite simple. Christ sums it up so succinctly in Matthew when he says, And everything do to others as you would do, have them do to you. 
one of the most quoted, quoted bits of the Bible. So is your anger at injustice aimed in the right things? Let's think about that. Do you get angry at the small, insignificant things? For example, like somebody bumping into you. Or, so, or maybe somebody's joined your workplace later than you or received a bigger bonus and promotion that you thought was yours. This really isn't injustice. Are you more concerned about unsightly look of someone living in a tent outside a hospital that happened last weekend more than the causes of homelessness and the fact that more people today cannot access housing because of high rents? Are you more concerned with the fact that there are maybe more people on the tube today because of a protest than the thousands of innocent lives of people dying in a conflict that they're protesting about? Are you more concerned you can't say, that you can't say certain words because we now need a, a woke minister than actually addressing the question of inequality in our society? As the fewer people are scared to be themselves because words have consequences. We really need to be careful that our anger of injustice is directed in the right way. If we take our definition of justice even further, it's to treat people equitably, if you remember, not equally. A few years back on Facebook, I'm sure you've seen this image, a few, it's always on my Facebook still, of the, the people watching, three people watching a baseball game over a fence. They, they were all given the same boxes to stand on. The tall person could see fine. The middle person could see just about. The short person still couldn't see. The eat this is equal treatment. Everyone got the same. But the outcome was not justice. In the same image, I mean, everyone, in the same image, next to it, the tall person had no box to stand on. The middle person had one and the small person had two boxes to stand on. Yes, it's not equal, but that is equitable because now that short person could see the same as the tall person. In essence, equitable is a society where everyone can participate in it, everyone. And this is what God means by justice. Now, if we take the second point, which is not to ignore justice when we see it, Jesus himself again showed this in his parables. Again, one of the most commonly quoted parables we hear, the Good Samaritan. We see an example of both justice in action and in inaction. With the priest and the Levite ignoring the stranger needing help on the road. And yet the Samaritan did not. It reveals the command to help. Now, the good man Rowan Williams said that the story isn't just a story about who we are supposed to love. It's a story about how we move from the passive to the active. It's a story about how we move. It's Bonhoeffer even goes further than this and suggests the story shows us that Christianity is about where Jesus stands and taking responsibility with him representing the world. He continues, 
You can't be an invisible church. Sooner or later, people will spot it. The church occupies space so as to say, we will guarantee this for everyone. We will keep open here the promise of solidarity without any advance restriction. He argues that relationship began with a recognition that in Jesus Christ, God is in for and stands with every human person. In other words, it is to stand in for the other, to take what comes to them, to shoulder their burden. Bonhoeffer was a perfect example of this. He stood against justice in Nazi Germany. He helped found the confessional church that preached against Nazi policies and he paid the ultimate price and sacrifice for standing against injustice since he died on the 9th of April in Flossenburg in concentration camp. It all comes back to this. Justice and righteousness requires us to treat all people equitably. To recognize that we must act. To stand in for them. Support the most vulnerable society. To quote the great Martin Luther King. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. While this sermon can easily use to think about anyone who's vulnerable, those who are refugees, women in difficult situations, the abused, and those in war zones, it is tomorrow we remember probably some of our most vulnerable in society, trans people. I ask you to remember that actually trans lives do matter and trans lives are important. I ask you to keep this day as a day of remembrance, to keep their memories alive say their name, to stand up for them, and when hatred is poured onto them, to shoulder their burden when they are attacked in person, online, and psychologically. I'm going to quote, really, the final bit. It's one of my favourite songs. You might not hear of it in this church because it's a not a traditional song. It's by Tim Hughes. It's God of Justice. When he says, God of justice, I'm not going to sing it, it's okay. Saviour to all, come to rescue the weak and the poor. Choose to serve and not to be served. Jesus, you have called us. Freely received, free we will give. We must go. Live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken. We must go. Stepping forward, keep us from just singing. Move us into action because we must go. So my call today asks, are you, are we moved into action? Are we? Our morning prayers. Loving and creator God, we are now all too familiar with a bruised and suffering world, a world unbalanced and disfigured by oppression, bitterness and hate. We think particularly of Gaza and the Middle East at this time, 
and of the seemingly intractable problems of establishing a pathway to peace and reconciliation. And we remember still the crippling situation in the Ukraine and for other corners of the globe where conflict is a daily reality. God of love, our utmost desire and most urgent prayer is that the hearts and minds of all those who perpetuate violence and oppression can be transformed. And as we enter Advent and the broader Christmas season, may we never be complacent or indifferent in the face of strife and injustice. And let us take to heart the words of a well-known carol, the telling truth of its text, which should never allow us to become numb through repetition or over-familiarity. Oh, hush the world, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. For strife appears to be a permanent ingredient of our daily news and remains sadly a staple in so many corners of our national and daily life. However we interpret angels and the angels' song, we yearn for that time when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling and all the world give back the song which now the angels sing. God of peace and harmony, be pleased to hear this, our earnest prayer. And let us remember now the needs of those nearer home, for those in despair over debt, escalating energy bills, and ever-rising food and fuel costs, for the sick in body and mind, many of whom are known to us, for those still coping with the pain of bereavement, for those who fear the bitter sting of winter's coldness, and for others who fight to survive roofless and homeless on our city streets. Loving God, for as Christ walked the path of suffering, look upon all those who despair and teach us not to be indifferent to others with acute needs and to whom we can offer comfort, however small. Lord, may they be led to that source of strength and hope. Lord of compassion and healing, hear our prayer. And finally, Advent God, as we anticipate lighting the four Advent candles, representing in turn hope, peace, joy, and love. May we draw strength and inspiration throughout this season and for the unknown pilgrimage journey ahead. Lord, grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of these days. Amen.
And so, as we go out from this place, may God open our eyes to the injustices around us, to the inequality of equality versus equity. May we have the confidence to draw alongside those who don't have a voice. Lend them ours if necessary, but hear them first. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forever. Amen.